like, and subscribe. Hello, fight fans, and welcome to The One, the unofficial podcast of the One Fighting Championship. Here we are at episode six. We will be starting off the night discussing UFC Fight Night El Bazi versus Cara France. After that, we'll discuss the underwhelming UFC 289, Nunes versus Aldana. We've got a great new MMA ad read for you. After that, uh, we had one Friday Fights 19, so we'll go over those fights. And then we'll preview one fight night, night 11, Ursul versus Menchikov. So, packed podcast for you. So, you're going to want to stick around to the very end. We've got a lot to cover. We're doing things a little bit out of order. We're going to do the UFC stuff first. Then we'll cover the one stuff. Why? Because it's my podcast and I can do whatever I want. Deal with it. Speaking of the podcast, the studio's coming along. If you're an audio-only listener, I'll just fill you in. This place is starting to look like a real fancy professional podcast studio, similar to like the uh, Joe Rogan experience or something like that. It definitely doesn't look like a drug rehabilitation center or, you know, maybe like the uh, office of one of those doctors who prescribed too many opioids to people like 10 years ago. So it's really coming along. We've got a new brand new banner here. Very nice. It's much better than this paper banner we had before. And we've got some new things on the on the shelf. So looking really good. And that's because, you know, I'm investing in this podcast. I want it to look good, sound good. Uh, and I'm doing that for you. So you know what you could do for me. You know what I'm getting ready to ask. Go ahead, grab that mouse, hit the like button. Scroll on over, hit that subscribe, ring that bell. And if you really want to be an extra good boy or girl, go ahead, hit that share button. Tell all your friends that aren't currently in prison or in rehab, I've got a great new podcast that you're going to love. Or tell them, hey, I got a podcast you're going to hate. It makes me so angry every time I look at this handsome guy giving me the most genius MMA breakdowns ever. And I don't know why I watch it because I hate them, but I just do. Either way, it's all going to lead to me being a rich and famous podcaster. You know, when I think about Ariel Helwani, I bet that guy goes out in public and hot young women just throw themselves at him. They're just like, I can't, I can't resist him because he's an MMA podcaster and I'm just so horny for him. And that's what I want. Is that too much to ask for? No, it's not. Like, subscribe, share, comment, especially comment if you hate this show and you have negative things to say about me. So that's just a small ask, but now we could get down to business. Get down to business. Okay. And of course, our cider this week, it's going to be a repeat. It's going to be the Topo Chico Ranch Water because that's all I had in my fridge. It's not actually a cider. It's a hard seltzer. And it kind of tastes like uh, for the smokers out there, if you ever had like a half-filled beer and maybe you're like at a cookout and then somebody thought that the the beer was an ashtray and they dropped their cigarette in there and then you drank it, kind of tastes like that. But hey, it has alcohol in it. So that's what's important. All right. Enough playing around. Let's get down to business. UFC Fight Night Obasi versus Cara France. I'm just going to say right off the bat, this was not a good card. There was some good moments in it. There were some good fighters on it. But the um, the quality of the fights were, were low. Um, and this is really like 
when I talk about North American MMA needing to change, this is like a perfect example of it. This card is, is, uh, it's just not entertaining, you know, and I don't think that's a controversial statement. There were some good things about this card we're going to go over and, you know, there are some things we're talking about, but I, you know, in the last episode, I talked about the, uh, finish rate that the last five or six UFC fights had had. And UFC had been on quite a roll delivering uh, quality quality fights. And uh, unfortunately, that streak came to an end uh, on this fight night. But hey, that's what happens. You know, there's some, there's some flaws in this gemstone. So it's not going to glitter as bright as it, as it once did. So a, a big positive of uh, the fight night was Laura Sanko. Now, you all know Laura Sanko is wifey material. I know she's very Christian, but if she does ever get a divorce, I'm out here. I'm ready. I'm willing. We can learn Portuguese together. You could teach me about arm bars. We could grapple anytime you want. So, Laura, if you're ever single or maybe just away from your husband and feeling lonely, give your boy a call. And besides being a lovely woman, she's super talented. And, you know, I almost feel like on the commentary, Bisping kind of hates on her. I don't know if that's an insecurity thing, like he doesn't feel secure in his position, but I feel like he's always given little digs and digs at her, which I'm assuming people pick up on and probably don't like because he's an annoying British dude and she's some beautiful blonde haired goddess, you know, and Laura Senko is super qualified for that position. Not only has she been doing interviewing and desk stuff for the UFC for a long time and Invicta before that, she was also a professional fighter. She only had one professional fight, which she won against Casey Robb, but she also went four and one as an amateur. And she still trains, you know, regularly at a professional level. So I really like her. I think it's a breath of fresh air there on the UFC broadcast. This is her second time doing a UFC card. I think they should really start pumping her up some more, get her on, get her on more of those Apex cards, and eventually get her up to the place where she can um, she could start doing some of the pay-per-views. I'd love to see that. All right, so starting off the night, the first fight of note, not the first fight of the night, there's a couple fights that clearly I'm not going to go over, but Muhammad uh, Naimov versus Jamie Malarkey. Now, Jamie Malarkey is a household name, or at least it should be. He's a great fighter. He's super exciting. He's had a mostly winning streak in the UFC, uh, a lot of exciting fights, and he just had a ton of, of competition dropout, and the fight he had scheduled, the guy dropped out you know, six or seven days before the start of the fight. So they brought in uh, Muhammad Naimov, and Naimov is from Tajikistan. He's one of four fighters from Tajikistan. And as we learned from previous fighters from Tajikistan, they are rabid for MMA. They can't get enough of it. So it was 4.30 in the morning in Tajikistan when this fight took place, and there was a soccer stadium full of people there to watch the fight. They had banners printed out. I don't know how they got the banners printed out because this fight was only announced like six days ago, but uh, people are crazy for MMA there, and uh, there was high expectations. Now, that that being said, when the original fight that got canceled, Jamie Malarkey was the biggest underdog on the card. When Naimov replaced that fighter, Malarkey became the biggest favorite. So Naimov was not supposed to win this fight. And Malarkey did look like he was in control for most of the most of the fight. That was until Naimov landed that killer counter left hook and dropped Malarkey like a bad habit. 
and the and the country of Tajikistan goes crazy. In the interview, he said he'll fight at welterweight or lightweight, but he's a featherweight. And he told Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky to watch out. I like that guy. I hope we see more of him. And this was like an all Tajikistan affair because we had Muin Gafarov versus John Castaneda. Now, Gafarov was, you know, an original part of this card. He wasn't a late replacement. And they had the whole graphics package together for this guy. He's supposed to be uh, a big deal, you know, because the fanfare is so big in Tajikistan, you know. A country like that where they're crazy about MMA, the UFC is going to do everything it can to get fighters from that region so they get even more into it. So Muin Gafarov faced off with Castaneda in a bantamweight bout. Expectations were high for Gafarov. But casting it is a tough test for anybody. And the first round was back and forth. Gafarov was really throwing everything at each punch. You could tell Gafarov had the weight of a nation on his shoulders. But out of nowhere, casting the NATO lands a head kick at the halfway point of the first round. But he made the critical error of taking out Gafarov and just allowed Gafarov to recover in his guard. Didn't do any damage. I mean, we see this so much in the UFC. It's like, oh, here's something exciting that could potentially end the fight, like a head kick. Now let's take the guy down and land short punches that aren't going to do anything while the guy completely recovers. I wish fighters would wise up to this. I can't understand why they do it. I'm not a fighter. I don't know. But it's not the way to get finishes. and It's not the way to get fans. So Gafarov recovered, and he responded in round two. He had an even more frenetic pace. He was throwing looping overhand rights with everything he had. And, you know, just when we thought Gafarov was starting to get some momentum and he was going to finish it, Castaneda would land something on Gafarov. It made for a very exciting second round. And, you know, Gafarov, he's throwing these overhand rights because he's a wrestler and he wants to dis disguise his punches as takedowns, his takedowns, his punches. But unfortunately, Gafarov clashed heads with Castaneda and the referee took a point without war warning. And I don't think he was using his head as a weapon, but that's what referee Chris Tyone implied. And I mean, I think out of all the regular referees we have, Chris Tyone is probably the worst, probably the least qualified or the one who makes consistently makes the worst decisions. You know, and like I said, I don't I don't think this was intentional. I think he was dropping his head to throw the overhand. So it looked like a, a takedown. I mean wrestlers have been doing that forever that was you know so many guys that's their that's their game plan and i don't necessarily have a problem with the referee taking a point without warning but it should be deserved and i don't think it was in this case luckily we learned at the decision that the point deduction did not affect the outcome of the fight uh round two continued to be back and forth round three also delivered back and forth action we we were wondering when gaffarov was going to run out of gas and and guess what? We found out about halfway through round three. And Castaneda got in the driver's seat for the remainder of the round with the point deduction for Gafarov. Castaneda wins 29-27. It was a good fight, but they were calling it fight of the night. And I would tend to disagree with that. But the action in round two was, was really good. All right. So after that, uh, the next fight of note, I would say, is probably Andre Arlovsky versus Dontel Mays. And when I first got into... MMA in the early 2000s, first got into the UFC, Andre Arlovsky was in his first run as the UFC heavyweight champ, not to mention his first run in the UFC. And that was, I don't want to date myself, but that was quite a while ago. 
And in, in the interim, Andre Olasky has picked up quite a few credits for his, to his Wikipedia page. So let's take a look. I got some notes here. He was a UFC heavyweight champion, had a successful title defense, interim UFC heavyweight champion, successful title defense, second most wins in UFC history, 23, tied with Donald Cerrone, second most bouts in UFC history, 40, only behind Jim Miller, who we'll talk about later, most wins in UFC heavyweight history with 23, most bouts in UFC heavyweight history with 40, most total fight time in UFC heavyweight history. Most strikes landed in heavyweight history, most significant strikes, fight of the night, two-time, performance of the night. The list goes on and on. And, uh, you know, he's just had an incredible career. He's fought everybody. He's fought the who's who. For example, you ever heard of Jorginho Rosen strike? How about Ben Rothwell? Tai Tuivasa, Stefan Struve? Francis Ngannou, Josh Barnett, Alistair Overeem, Stipe Miocic, Frank Mir, Travis Brown, Antonio Silva, Brendan Schaub. Quite an impressive list. That's only about halfway down on this Wikipedia page. Quite an impressive list. But the reality is they went into this fight, you know, on the pre-fight package, they were saying, well, you know, he's won four of his last five, but that doesn't really paint the picture because... Two fights before the Dontel Mays fight, he fought Jake Collier and he replaced Justin Taffel last minute. That's great. And it's impressive that he got the win via split decision, which is what a lot of his wins are these days, split decisions. But 14 out of 14 media scores gave it to Collier. <laughs> so I, I believe that might have been a mistake by the judges. I could be wrong. That's rare to happen in the UFC. So if I'm wrong, I apologize. But I think they might have screwed that up. Then the very next fight he fought, uh, Marcos Rogerio de Lima, what uh, probably most people wouldn't consider an up-and-coming UFC heavyweight fighter, a guy who like used to fight at middleweight, now he's a heavyweight, uh, similar to Jake Collier. <laughs> and uh, he lost that fight via a rear naked choke in round one. And then he got face-planted by Dontel Mays, you know? So as, as much as I appreciate uh, Andre Arlovsky's career and I uh, – you know, his career, anytime I see him, I cheer for him. And his career, you know, has a lot of fond memories on my MMA uh, fandom. You know, I think it's time. I think this guy should have maybe one more fight. You know, I don't think the UFC is going to Belarus anytime soon, but maybe the next time they're in Denver, one more fight. And then let's call it. I mean, this is you've had a long fight history in the heavyweight division. Um, and I just don't want to see guys like this, you know, can't not able to string get together a sentence in 20 years. You know, I don't want them to sound how I sound now in, in 20 years for them. You know, I want them to be able to talk properly. <laughs> All right. So that was kind of a bummer. I love, I love Andre Arlovsky. But, uh, after that we had, uh, Karini Silva versus Catlin Salza and Karini Silva, you know, she's on quite the tear, you know, hundred percent finish rate, which is absolutely insane. And, uh, you know, she was facing Ketlin Sousa to the UFC, and she welcomed her to the UFC in the worst possible way by wrapping Ketlin's knee in the shape of a corkscrew in the first minute of the first round. You know, it was quite gruesome to watch the replay. You know, you see Ketlin's knee snap in several places. So that's a bummer. But for Karini Silva, you know, she's on a tear. Let's get a number next to this lady's name. 
You know, what's it going to take? What I'd like to see, because she's so dangerous on the ground, put her up against a wrestler and see what happens. I like a fight with like a, maybe a Misha Tate or Miranda Raverick. So let's get that done. She's great. I want to see more of her. Love women's MMA. Support women's MMA. Jim Muller versus Jesse Butler. This, uh, you know, Butler came in on two days notice, but he's a good fighter. He's 12 and 16. And, uh, you know, he came in there because Jim Miller's opponent fell out. That happened with a lot of fights on this on this card. Uh, but, you know, Butler's no slouch. He's a professional. He's been winning. And uh, unfortunately for him, his welcome to the UFC resulted in him being crumpled up like a wrecked Kia in a drunk driving accident in about 23 seconds. So I'll say this, you know, like if, if you're kind of new to MMA, and you're watching those like pre-fight packages where they show all the highlights, you know a fighter's important to the UFC when you see that gold mat from UFC 200 on a fighter's highlight reel. Like if you're watching their highlight reel and they have a highlight where the mat is like yellow gold, like really ugly gold instead of white, that was from UFC 200. And UFC 200 was only the UFC's most important fighters on that card. And uh, Jim Miller was on that card and he was on 41 other UFC cards. I mean, I put together all the all the numbers, so why don't we just go over them? If you thought Arlovsky's was impressive, wait till you hear this. Most wins in UFC history, 25. Most bouts in UFC history, 42. Most bouts in UFC lightweight division. Most wins in UFC lightweight division. Second most finishes in UFC history. Most finishes in the UFC lightweight division history. Tied with Damian Maia for the second most submission wins in UFC history. Tied with Damian Maia for the second most submission wins in UFC history. It's wild. Fight of the night, seven times. Performance of the night, four times. Submission of the night, three times. Fight of the year, 2012 versus Joe Lozon. There's more of them, but I like to keep these podcasts under two hours, so I'm going to stop here. But when you talk about fighting everybody, he's fought literally everybody. I mean, literally everybody. Like, there was one point in his career where he was on like a uh, a thirteen fight winning streak. Nate Diaz, Benson Henderson, Charles Oliveira, Glyson Tibu, Duane Ludwig, Mac Danza, Gray Maynard, Matt Wyman. Those are back in the day. But here's some for the newer fans: uh, Donald Cerrone again, Benil Dariush. Michael Chiesa, Diego Sanchez, Takanori Gomi, Tiago Alves, Dustin Poirier, Anthony Pettis, Dan Hooker, Charles Oliveira again, Clay Guida again. This guy's just, and Donald Cerrone again. So this guy's just been doing it. And the most impressive thing is he's doing all this with Lyme disease. Like when he was on his run, he had Lyme disease and didn't know it. He was just tired all the time and sick all the time and he didn't know why. And then when he got diagnosed with Lyme disease, he uh, changed up his diet, changed up his whole routine. And he's like, he's on quite a run. I mean, he's won four of his last five and just knocked out a guy in 23 seconds. You know, he's fighting these young wolves. He wants to make it to uh, UFC 300. I think that's totally possible if he keeps putting on performances like this. And this is just one of my favorite fighters, just like a, a hard-nosed dude who just comes out there and performs. And, you know, as a longtime MMA fan and a longtime fan of the UFC, it makes me really happy to see a performance like this. I think it's cool as hell. Next up, we had Daniel Pineda versus Alex Caceres. 
you know, I think, I think I'll skip, I'll spare you good little boys and girls, the, uh, uh, me going through Alex Caceres Wikipedia page and telling you about all the accomplishments he's had and all the people he's fought. But I'll just say that, you know, Caceres has been around for a long time. He's been winning for a long time. He's still winning. And the guy he's fighting is a guy who has 28 fights and a hundred percent finishing rate coming into this fight in Daniel Pineda. So two Wiley veterans, you know, Daniel Pineda was cut from the UFC at one point. He came back as a huge underdog and, and scored the win. And he's been on quite an impressive uh, streak since then. So when I saw this on this card, it really stood out to me. I knew that we were going to more than likely have have a fight of the night potential. And I think that's what we got in this fight. I mean, that's not saying much on this fight card, but it was a great fight and we shouldn't take anything away from these guys just because there was not a lot of other good fights on this card. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of back and forth action through this whole thing. Bruce Leroy came out strong. He controlled the grappling exchanges early on, but then Pineda nearly finished him in the first with the arm bar. And then towards the end of the round, Caceres nearly drops Pineda with the right hand, but, you know, Pineda wrestles out and finishes the round. So Pineda needed a big second round. He got one. He definitely controlled the action. He took Bruce Leroy down and controlled him on the ground and landed a bunch of significant strikes. Definitely round two went to Pineda. And then not wanting to let the fight slip away, Caceres landed a crushing kick to the liver. That It was incredible that Pineda even survived it. It was really something something impressive to see. It didn't look like Pineda was even going to make it to the bell, but, you know, this guy's a psychopath, and he was even laughing in Caceres' face and even dropped Caceres toward the end of the fight, but Bruce Lee was still dominated the round overall and won the fight. 29-28, that's going to be my fight of the night. I'm pretty sure that's what the UFC said was the fight of the night. The uh, the, the the fight with the Tajikistan fighter, Muhammad Naimov, that's definitely going to be my KO of the night. I mean, that thing was crazy impressive, but, you know, fight of the night. You got to give it to these guys. Again, it's not saying a lot. This wasn't an impressive fight card, but that was a good fight, and those guys should get recognized for the effort they put in, both of them. It's nice to see two Wiley vets getting that 50K bonus. So, Kaikar France versus Amir Albazi. This was kind of a back-and-forth fight. Nothing too thrilling with it. Both guys were doing what they're good at. Uh, I think the real story on this fight is that, you know, the decision. And we had seen a fight earlier, a, a women's uh, strawweight fight, where, you know, the 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 fight went to the fighter who most people probably didn't think had won the fight. And... You know, this happens all the time in the UFC, so we shouldn't be surprised about that, that it would happen, you know, twice in one night. I think, you know, I'll say this. I thought Cara France won the fight. So did Bisping and Sanko. So did most MMA, whatever you want to call them, media, news people, most fighters. They all thought Cara France won. So, so did most people, smart or stupid. And, you know, Mike Bell gave Cara France the first round, the fourth round, and the fifth round. And I would tend to agree with that. I'm not surprised. Mike Bell, he screws stuff up frequently, just like all these other guys do, but he seems to do at least. And 
I would tend to agree with that scorecard. There are some people saying 4-1. I didn't see that. And this was a close fight, but that fourth round, it's really tough to give it to Amir Albazi. And, you know, this is, this is the problem with the UFC. This is the problem right here. Because we have a bunch of fans in this arena watching the fight who all think Cara France won. You got a bunch of, a couple of commentators who are watching the fight and they think that Cara France won. And then you got hundreds of thousands, millions of people at home who watched the fight and based on what they watched, they think Cara France won. And then you got two judges who think the opposite. Now, you know, these judges don't have the influence of the commentators. They don't have the influence of, you know, the fight numbers, the significant strikes. There's a lot of talk about significant strikes. I personally don't care about significant strikes. That's not something that I take into consideration around scoring a fight. But they don't have they don't have that. And the other thing that they have that everybody else doesn't have is whatever goes on in those meetings between the athletic commissions when they decide what's significant, what they should be scoring, and clearly what they're deciding in those meetings, what the, whatever's being dictated to them on what they should score the fight on, is different than what the average MMA fan sees. And I just don't understand why we can't get this, like, get this aligned. You know, the problem is that the, that, that all these North American MMA organizations, they go, well, that's not our problem. And I don't understand why they think that's not their problem. You know, maybe it's because a lot of them are profitable. It's not their, it's not their cross to bear, but it's definitely hurting the product. You know, maybe, maybe the way they look at it is that people won't stop watching because of like, because of like errors by, by judges, but it's like, it's certainly turned me off. I've certainly become less of a UFC fan. You know, part of the reason I started the one championship podcast is because I believe that the way one does it is the right way. And that, that we need to see that in all MMA organizations, you know, and I don't want to talk about this every podcast, but this stuff's going to continue to happen because nobody who runs a major North American MMA organization, whether it's Dana White or any of these other guys is doing a thing about this, you know, and the story of the fight, you know, is not exciting fights or this was a great card. It was that the main event was screwed up. A guy who should have won didn't a guy who shouldn't have won did. And, uh, you know, that's that's too bad because when you combine it with the, the low quality of of events like this and the the lack of. You know, a, a bunch of rules in North American MMA that, in my opinion, make for less exciting fights, you've got a lot of problems and a lot of those are traced back to rules, judging. Bureaucracies, things like that. And I just don't buy the uh, excuse by all these owners of MMA organizations that there's nothing we could do about it because I really think there is. You know, these guys got money, they got power, they could hire lobbyists, they can make change, you know. And uh, I think it's past time, and I think most MMA fans agree that it's past time that we make some change. But with all that being said, you know, 
Kaikara France losing his fight, Amir Albazi winning, is actually better for this division. And I'll tell you why right now. The reason is, is that, you know, Kaikara France just lost an uh, interim title fight against Brandon Moreno. And, uh, you know, this, this win makes a lot more interesting fights. Now, we really need to talk about Brandon Royville. Royville's on a three-fight win streak. He's crushing dudes. He's exciting. He's got the, the most exciting style in the division. And he should have a title fight. I want to see this guy fight for the title. Why doesn't he fight Amir Elbazi? You know, they've never fought. Elbazi just beat, for podcast listeners, I'm doing air quotes. I'm so snarky. <laughs> just beat Kai Car France. So let's do Amir Elbazi, Brandon Royvel. The winner gets the winner of Pantoja versus Brandon Moreno. Now, I understand that if Pantoja wins, and there's a lot of reason to think that he might, he beat Moreno before. I personally don't think he will beat Moreno, but if he does, there's obviously going to be a remix. And hopefully we don't get into another thing like we had in the flyweight division just previously where these guys are fighting three or four times. But, hey, anything's possible. But assuming that doesn't happen, Pantoja, Moreno, winner, fights. Royval, Albazi, winner. And then there's still a ton of bunch of good fights for Kaikar France. Hey, it sucks that he lost on half of his purse. That's not right. But he's still going to get great fights. It's not like the UFC is going to treat him like he lost. They're going to give him great fights. And he's going to continue, you know, to, to climb that ladder. There's a minor setback. So, as I said, the main event, although there's a lot to talk about, mostly negative, it wasn't because it was an exciting fight. And this card overall wasn't a great fight. And that's that's unfortunate. But like I said previously, the last five or six fights that the UFC put on have been great. And if you catch my previous episode, episode five, I covered UFC or Road to UFC Shanghai. And that card was phenomenal. I mean, there was one episode of that where all five fights went to a finish. So the UFC has been doing great. I don't want to sound like I'm dogging them, but this this card was not great. And I mean, we're about to preview UFC 289. Things can get a lot worse. But uh, just for the numbers on this, for a point of comparison, there were five five finishes in 13 fights. Everything else was a decision. So that makes for a 38% finish rate. Not great. Not great. Speaking of not great... This weekend, UFC 289, Nunez versus Aldana. <laughs> okay, what is going on with this fight card? You know, the uh, Canadian fans are great. And uh, there was a time when George St. Pierre was on top of the, uh, uh, the uh, welterweight division that Canada was the most exciting thing in MMA. You know, the, for a long time, the largest event the UFC had ever done was at the Rogers Arena in, in uh, Canada. And uh, every time George St. Pierre fought, it was a big deal. And there was other great uh, Canadian fighters fighting at the time as well. But GSP was the big star. And then after GSP retired, it seemed like we lost a lot of that momentum with Canada. And I think when we lost that momentum, we stopped doing as many fights. Combine that with Canada being totally lame about a lot of their restrictions uh, over the last couple of years, you know, and or I should say I shouldn't say totally lame. I should say overly restrictive or restrict overly restrictive to events like the UFC. 
And uh, that results in a lot less momentum for Canadian MMA. So you would think the UFC would want to do something big to come back. But I know it sounds like I'm being negative because I just dogged the card. But I told you, the card had a, the, the, the fights over the weekend had a 38% finish rate. That's not me. That's not hyperbole. It was objectively not good. And this pay-per-view that the UFC wants you to pay 85 bucks for is objectively not good. Amanda Nunez and Irene Aldana is a contest between the best bantamweight in the world and one of the best bantamweights in the world. I'm excited for it, but historically, Amanda Nunez does not sell a lot of pay-per-views and does not get the fans excited. That's not her fault. She's the GOAT. She's the she's the the GOAT, not just of women's MMA. You know, when you talk about like the best fighters ever, the most impressive records, you know, she's in that top five with, you know, all the male fighters too, up there with John Jones, Anderson Silva, you know. But it's just not going to get the fans excited. The, the the commoners, the noobs, aren't going to come out for this. Charles Oliveira and Benil Dariush, now that's a great fight. It's kind of what saves this card. But, you know, Benil Dariush is not selling pay-per-views, you know. The guy doesn't have the most uh, alluring personality. And Charles Oliveira, well, he's he delivers exciting fights, as does Dariush. This isn't going to sell pay-per-views. So that's the, the main and the co-main. And I could deal with that. Like if that was the main and the co-main and then we had a bunch of good fights under it, like up and comers, I'd be like, cool. I'd be like, this is going to be a great card. You can always be surprised. You know, maybe it won't be the biggest pay-per-view of the year. It won't get the fans this excited, but there's good quality here, except there's not. The next fight is Mike Mallott and Adam Fugit. I'm sorry, but this is, a, this is an apex card. Mike Mallott and Adam Fugit aren't ranked. You know, Marc-Andre Barrio and Eric Anders aren't ranked. You know, these aren't. And if you look at the fighting style of a lot of these guys, it doesn't seem like it's going to result in exciting finishes. The, 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 one, the one counter I'll make to this is on this entire fight card, you do have one saving grace. And that's the, that's the Tennessee bad boy, the Tennessee train. Night the train land where... Mm, look at my muscles, baby. I'm Nate the Train Landwehr. Nate the Train Landwehr going to come there and give a right hook to Dan Ige. Love me some Nate the Train. That's going to be money because that guy entertains and Dan Ige is an entertaining fighter. You know, I hope Landwehr can get the win there because we could see more of that guy. But overall, I mean, you know, this could be this could be an apex fight card if not for the main and the co-main. And then when you get into the preliminary which a lot of times can save a pay-per-view, you know? When you look at the the entirety of it, you know, not just what you're paying the 85 bucks for the last five fights. When you look at the entirety, you could say, oh, well, that equates to a good fight. But there's a lot of names on here I don't even know. And also a lot of fights that were canceled. Hakeem Dawadu was supposed to be on this fight. He's a great and exciting fighter from Canada. Got canceled. Matt Schnell was supposed to fight. Another exciting flyweight. Canceled. Chris Dawkins and Khalil Roundtree canceled. It's not great. And I see a lot of names I, I don't recognize on here. And I, I pay pretty close attention. And then on the early prelims, they don't even have pictures for some of these guys. So not great. But that doesn't mean that this can't be a great 
pay-per-view. There could still be exciting fights. I don't think there will be necessarily, and I don't think you'll get a lot of people to buy this pay-per-view, but there could be. So I don't want to, I don't want to dog the fighters. I don't want to say this couldn't be great. As far as the contests go, I, I guess what I'm saying is getting back, going back to that for a second. I guess what I'm saying is that, um, you know, right now the inflation's really high and, uh, there's a lot of people who don't have a lot of the, 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 um, the, uh, you know, extra cash that they did a couple years ago. And I just think it's a lot, a big ass from a company that had a record breaking profit this last year to ask us to pay the buying public to pay $85 for a fight card that isn't worth $85. You know, I think what the UFC should have done is opened up the, the checkbooks and tried to get some better fights on this main card. Um, that's my personal opinion, but Hey, I'm not Dana White. I don't, I don't know anything about running an MMA organization. I don't know about the ins and outs of it. So maybe I'm way off with that. All right. So I kind of, I kind of spilled the beans two episodes ago when I said Irene Aldana is going to beat Amanda Nunez. And, uh, you know, I thought at the time when I was saying that, you know, obviously I was the first one to say that, and I've heard other people come out since then, but, uh, I guess I'm kind of surprised that so many people shared my viewpoint on that. I mean, I know why I think Irene Aldana is going to win. Irene Aldana is a great fighter. That's the first thing she's driven. She's got a bunch of people around her who are winning UFC world titles. She's got the momentum of the country of Mexico behind her. She's with a great camp. She's got great size. She's got great reach. She's got great striking. Those are all important things. But I think the biggest factor in this fight is Amanda Nunez. I think Amanda Nunez has reached a point in her career where she's too content. And I think, you know, we got a preview of that in her past two uh, title fights. And I think we're going to see more of that in the future. I think we're going to see Amanda Nunez, who's not as committed as she was back when she was fighting the likes of Ronda Rousey. I think that's going to be the biggest factor in this. I would expect that Irene Aldana probably gets the finish in this fight, you know, probably pretty early, probably second or third round. I wouldn't be surprised if she could stop uh, Amanda Nunez on the on the feet in the uh, second or third round. Now, as far as Charles Oliveira and Benil Dariush, I mean, I'm kind of uh, kind of torn on this one. You know, Charles, one of his greatest uh, attributes is that guys are afraid to go to the ground with him. You know, even if you get him hurt, like Poirier or or some of the other guys, Justin Gage, he did. They don't want to go to the ground because they don't want to get submitted. I don't think there'll be an issue for Benil Dariush. I think he'll be comfortable going to the ground and he's capable of going to the ground. You know, he's also got de decent stand-up. He's knocked guys out before, but I don't think he has a stand-up of Charles Oliveira. Ultimately, you know, I'm going back and forth. Like, is it the, is it the control of Dariush? Is it the submissions of Oliveira? They're so evenly matched, you know, in a lot of areas, but ultimately my gut is telling me that Charles Oliveira is going to be able to get this thing done. I think he's going to be too much. Charles tends to come on strong. Dariush does not. I think that Charles is going to be able to come out there and implement his game and probably get it done before the, uh, before the end of the third round. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a stoppage from Oliveira by submission after he lands some clean striking. And then I guess Danny Gay, Nate Landwehr, you know, I'd like to see, as I said, I'd like to see Nate win this fight, but 
Danny Gay's a, a favorite for a reason. You know, he tends to he tends to do well in fights like this. But you know, Landwehr's got got that one thing, and that's that Tennessee trine. And I can see Landwehr landing that Tennessee trine and getting his own 50k off of Danny Gay and dropping an amazing promo where he says a bunch of crazy stuff and people go crazy. And then he's on he's on uh, people's Instagram posts. So. That's what I'm hoping for, and that's what I'm hoping to see. Yep, that's all I got for that one. You know, overall, I don't want to sound negative to the UFC. You know, I love the UFC. They they put on a lot of amazing shows, but, uh, you know, for all the peaks, there's sometimes valleys, and hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully there's a bunch of great fights from fighters we've never heard of. People get discovered off of this fight, and it turns out that I was wrong, and there was a bunch of great fights. I don't think that's going to happen, but anything's possible. All right, I want to make sure I'm at 100%, so I'm just going to have a little bit of this here. And for my audio-only only listeners, audio-only listeners on the podcast, on the Spotify's, that was just some wheatgrass that I just drank. It's so I could be strong and healthy for this podcast for you. All right. All right, what have we got next? Lovely producer, what do we got next? Do what I'm help me out here. I'm paying you $12 an hour. Help me out. What's that? Ad read? Another one? We're gonna do one every episode. I guess uh MMA ad read. Hold on, let me grab this copy. Oof. This is a big one, a long one. Are you sure we have to do this? this... All right, fine. I I don't know what you mean contractually obligated, but I'll do it. Okay, I'll read it. It's fine. This seems kind of weird. Husbands, if your wives are watching, you may want to ask them to leave the room for this one. And that's because our ad read this week is for Francis Ngannou's new line of extra large MMA protective cups called the Big Francis. Wow. Seriously? Okay. Okay. I, I as long as they're paying, that's all I care about. That's right, my friends. Prepare yourself for the ultimate in groin protection. Brought to you by none other than the thick, veiny, former UFC champion. Most recent PFL signing that's definitely not going to make the company go bankrupt. Francis, the predator, but not that kind of predator, and Ganu. This is a cup like no other. Extra large, extra wide, extra thick. Just like the man himself. That seems... You, you know what it seems like. Yes, I'll, I'll finish the ad read. I'm just saying it sounds... Now, you might be wondering, why extra large? Well, let me tell you folks. Francis Ngannou is a true giant. Measuring in at 64 inches. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. That's six foot four inches with the girth of an oak tree. He knows what it takes to protect the crown jewels of the Nile in the most extreme combat situations. His girthy statue, stature demands a cup of epic proportions to match. And that's exactly what you're getting with the Big Francis Extra Large MMA Protective Cup. But that's not all, my friends. We've heard through the grapevine that the infamous Dana White Francis' ex, and possibly baby mama, has been feeling a little, let's say, inadequate. 
when it comes to the above average protective gear that Francis is offering. Yeah, it's true. Dana went on record and I quote, I hear that fighters don't like extra large cups. The big Francis is too big and it hurts them. They actually overwhelmingly prefer medium to medium small size cups because they feel just as good as the big Francis. Actually, they, they feel better, way better. Now, okay, end quote. Now, let's talk aesthetics. The Big Francis Extra Large MMA Protective Cup comes only in only one color, and you could probably guess what it is. I'm not going to get in trouble for this. I mean, I know I'm just reading it, but it's going to sound like I'm... Whatever, I'm fine. Okay. The Big Francis Extra Large MMA Protective Cup comes in only one color, and you could probably guess what it is. Black. <laughs> Just like the darkness of night on the African Serengeti, this black cup adds an air of mystery and intimidation to your already formidable, yet consensual, presence in the ring. It's like having the heavyweight championship of groin protection wrapped around your thick, throbbing waist. So, whether you're stepping into the octagon, grappling on the mat, or in your home where you simply want to feel like a true big-time champion to your wife... Well, he seems to be checking out that tall, handsome, African-American mailman and doesn't know what you're talking about when you ask her why she's staring at him. The Big Francis Extra Large MMA Protective Cup has got your back. Or, should I say, your front. So head on over to our website. Are you sure it's not a typo on the website? Okay. You checked it. Okay. You, you thought it was a typo, too? Okay. So head on over to our website, www.bigfrancisblackedxxl.com, and get your hands on this legendary piece of equipment. Your nether regions will thank you. All right. There we go. There's our MMA ad read. Bills are paid. I'm on my way to get being a millionaire. And we can move on to what we've all been waiting for. One Friday Fights 19. Cool. Kulabdam versus Messiah. So I just want to start out by saying, you know, it sounds like I was trashing the UFC. And I know because this is the one championship podcast, you probably think that I'm biased and that I'm only going to say nice things about the one. And I'm only going to say negative stuff about the UFC. But the truth is, I love the UFC. You know, I appreciate what the Fertitas, Dana White, and now Endeavor did for this sport. You know, I wouldn't be into MMA if it wasn't for the UFC. And at the same time, I do appreciate 1FC. I appreciate that they're doing something different. But, you know, they could screw things up too. And they could have cards that are just bad. Bad. They could put together fights that aren't going to result in good fights. And that's what happened this weekend. You know, this fight card was not good. And it stands out, especially because Friday fights are usually awesome. You know, we've been on a streak of, of getting, you know, 10 out of 12 finishes, you know, stuff that's unheard of in North American MMA, you know, like 80 something percent finish rate. So when you get a, a card like this, where there's not a lot of finishes and a lot of the fights that end in finishes aren't necessarily entertaining as well, it really stands out, you know, as, as uh, you know, the most respected and attractive name in MMA journalism, I have to call that out. So I'm, I, I was already in a, a kind of a negative mood because I just watched all the UFC fights and that was kind of a bummer. 
And then I was like, well, at least I'm going to put on one and there's going to be a bunch of exciting fights. There'll be a lot to enjoy here. And uh, I was uh, irritated right away. We had uh, Umachev versus Shaimanov in the MMA fight. And uh, the other MMA fight was uh, Ray, Ray Chen versus uh, Drex Zambawanga. And they were both MMA fights and they both highlighted, you know, something that really made me do a double think on my my claims the last couple of weeks where I've been talking about, you know, the way to do MMA going forward is in the ring so that fighters can't get pushed up against the cage. I still believe that, but I see that one has a serious flaw in the way they do MMA fights in, in the ring. And surprise, surprise, it has to do with the officiating, not the judges this time. It has to do with the referees. So to start off, this was a, a boring fight. You know, Shimonov used the ring to his advantage. And by I don't mean that in a good way. Like he had, he was a ring te technician. I mean, he cheated, you know. So he would get taken down and he'd grab the rope and pull himself out of the ring when he was in danger. And I don't know where this referee came from. I've, I've never seen him in one before. His name's Kemp Chang. Um, but he was way too passive. I don't know if this is a thing where this was his first time and he just didn't know. But there was probably 30 violations in these two fights that never got called out. And, uh, you know, the same, like I was saying, the same thing happened in the second fight between Ray Chen and Drex Zambawanga. Zambawanga had his hands locked around Chen and lifted him in the air. And Chen grabs the ropes and stops a guaranteed takedown. That could have changed the direction of the whole fight. And the referee saw it plain as daylight. Everybody in Lumpini Stadium saw it and didn't even acknowledge it. Didn't even say anything about it. No warning, no no nothing. Same thing in the third round. Even more worryingly, the commentators didn't acknowledge it either. I didn't hear them saying anything about like all these rope grabs. And to the UFC's credit, if someone's grabbing the cage or doing something illegal, they call it out. You know, there's no it's you're not hurting the product by saying, hey, this official, this official who isn't necessarily part of our organization is making mistakes. You know, I really expect more from 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 one. Ray Chen won a close decision and might have gone the other the other way, if not for those rope grabs. And I really think that this is a problem with one. And part of the problem is that the fight is ruled. The fight is judged as a whole, which is something I really like about one. I think that's a good thing, a big time improvement over the UFC, possibly one of the biggest. But there needs to be some type of enforcement because in the UFC, if a guy breaks a rule, you could take a point. But when you're judging the fight as a whole, there's not points necessarily. So there needs to be some kind of a punishment for when Ray Chen grabs, grabs the, the ring rope and prevents a takedown. And, you know, it's not like we need to come up with a new idea. They've already figured this out. You know, they figured this out in 1993 or 1997, rather. Sorry, I've been drinking a lot of wheatgrass. <laughs> in 1997, in Pride, with the card system, a fighter is given a purse. A purse is just basically your payment for the fight. Usually, typically, MMA organizations do part of their purses to show. So you show up, you get paid for showing up. Maybe say your your purse is forty grand, you get paid twenty grand just for showing up, making weight, getting to the fight, and then another twenty grand if you win. Well, in Pride, if you did things like were too timid, you grabbed the ropes, you low blowed a, a, an opponent repeatedly, you would get 
a yellow card or a red card. And based on those card colors, they would take away your part of your purse up to 10% at a time. And believe me, fighters will be motivated by that. If you go from making, now I'm a business major, but math is my strong point, 40 grand to 36 grand because you grab the rope, you're not going to grab the rope again. And we need to we need to find a way in one, and by we I mean Chachri Sitchatong and his team needs to find a way to implement a system like this to um, enforce fighters working away from the the ring ropes because that's what the rules are in the ring. If you're taken down, you're supposed to work your way away from it. The the referees and the other people around the cage aren't supposed to have to do it. You should move yourself away. Your opponent should be working towards moving away from the ring as well. And the only way to enforce it with, is with a card system like this. I think the other thing that's going to be important for this is that take this, take this with this uh, notice. I'm not saying that we should do this in the cage, but in the ring, we should bring back soccer kips, kicks and stomps, just like in Pride. They did it for years in Pride. Nobody got killed. Nobody got majorly maimed. It's not, there's no, there's no reason we can't do it. I don't think we should necessarily do it in a cage. I'm not saying we shouldn't either, but in the cage, I get more of the argument why you shouldn't do it because you can post up on the cage and really get more momentum. But as long as we're clear that you can't touch the ring ropes when you're soccer kicking or stomping in the ring, I think it's perfectly safe. And I think it prevents a lot of these positions where guys hide out, where if this was a real fight, they wouldn't be able to, 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 to win and it will make for better action. And if we do these things, we could do more MMA in rings because I do think the ring is a superior way to do MMA. I think it's better, a better product than in the cage. I mean, we don't see it a lot, but we should. And so that was just frustrating to see. The one FC is better than that. You know, I, 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 I do this out of love because I know that they don't usually offer a product like that. So another fight worth talking about was uh, Natalia Dishkova fighting uh, one of the greatest names in MMA. I mean, like just birth names, Lena Knocker. And uh, Natalia Dishkova, she looked like an absolute animal in there, dismantling Lena Knocker in the very first round. I think when a fighter's concussed as Knocker was after the first knockdown, you can call the fight, even if they do technically answer the eight count. You don't have to let them keep fighting. Didn't matter. Dishkova came out and just dropped her again and then beat her up on the feet. Two KOs, you know, two KOs in a row for Natalia Dishkova and... How in the hell do you not give her a bonus for that performance? You know, maybe the rumors about one being deep in debt are true, because if you can't afford 10 grand for that performance, I don't know what's going on with this company. After that, uh, we had Penrit versus uh, Farzan Chichek. And uh, I have a rule, you know, if you're going to do your walkout in like a stupid mask, and you got a whole gimmick, you know, we had a guy last week who was coming out with with uh, fake fake guns and a cowboy hat. If you're going to do that stuff, you better not lose. And I'll say this. Panreet, you know, he had a superior game plan. And uh, Farzan Chichek was playing right into it. Panreet would corral Farzan Chichek into the corner and unleash on him in close quarters, you know. So 
Penrith nearly dropped Thursday and Chichek in the first with the tight elbow. The only thing that kept Chichek from going down was the ropes. And then Penry did drop Chichek in the second round in the second with a nice punch to the solar plexus off the caught kick. And I wasn't even sure if Farzan Chichek wanted to answer the eight, but you know, I thought maybe he was just gonna stay down there and 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 live to fight another day, but he did. And uh he he wanted to answer that eight count more than I could have believed. And the third round, Chichek comes out aggressive and laps several stiff jabs in a row even a, a left hook at the end. And, uh, you know, Penrit fell to the ground and the ref called it a slip, but I thought Penrit was hurt. And if he wasn't hurt, he was hurt a few seconds later when Farzan Chichek caught the charging Penrit with a perfectly timed left hook all the way from Turkey. Knocked him out cold. It was a crazy comeback. Pan Reed was still unconscious while Farzan Chichek was being interviewed. And during that interview, they told him he got 350000 bot for his efforts. Congrats to that guy, Farzan Chichek. Very impressive. Uh, after that, we saw Parnpat versus Sarush Akbari. I don't really have a ton to say about this fight. You know, Akbari's the Lupini bad boy. Well... Um, he's supposed to be the next big thing in one, but I don't see it based on his performance on Friday. He managed to eke out a decision so close you couldn't fit a dime through it. Uh, the way Akbar faded in the third round, you know, nearly getting dropped at one point when Parpet came on strong. Shows me the kid from Iraq has a lot of conditioning work to do. So we had Kowtow versus Imnardet. And this also, I mean... This is why I say even some of the finishes were pretty uneventful fights. You know, this was a pretty uneventful fight until the last 20 seconds of the third round. A lot of clinching and stalling by both guys, which I hate to see. Kautau landed a 37-punch combo that he capped, capped off with a devastating left-right combo. I thought it was strange that Imnard Det did not get a standing eight count, but he seemed really concussed after they stopped it, and Kautau got the 350000 bot bonus. I, I guess. I mean, yeah, it was cool. At the the last twenty seconds were cool. It was a pretty boring fight, though. You had to sit through quite a quite a bit of clinching and stalling to get there. But you know, it was cool at the end. He did land like a crazy combo, and uh, and dropped and dropped Imnardet. And it, what's also cool about this fight is that Kautau got revenge over Imnardet because the guy had two previous victories over him. So it sounds cooler than it actually was. Uh, a fight that was actually interesting was uh, Riddy Dett versus Jaleel Barnes. And boy, oh boy, freedom, America. We got an American fighting in the coal mine. And uh, Jaleel Barnes came out very aggressive in the first, but uh, he slowed down significantly in the second. 20 seconds into the third, Riddy Dett showed he has some real power when he landed a short left hook that left Barnes stumbling around on the ground like a drunk who dropped a nickel. After the fight, he brought his infant son into the cage for the post-fight interview, all but guaranteeing he will grow up having hearing problems. I guess Riddy Dett can use that uh, 350000 bot bonus on pediatric hearing aids or something like that. Uh, and then we had the uh, the main event, which is Kul Emdam versus Elias Musayev. Kul Emdam was Lumpini champion when he was 19 years old, but that was a long time ago. He's 25 now, so that's like 65 years in Muay Thai time. 
And then Elia Musayev is a Dagestani kickboxer, which essentially means he's the, he was the worst wrestler in his village. That's all that means if you're a Dagestani kickboxer. And in Dagestan, it's either fighter or goat farmer. Those are your, like, just your choices in life. So if you can't wrestle, you better be a damn good striker unless you want to be staring at goats all day. So Musayev, though, does not seem like a great striker based on his performance here. The other thing is that Musayev had possibly the worst wide crew I've ever seen. You know, as a uh, filthy imperialist, I love the wide crew. I love seeing the traditional Thai you know, ritual before a fight. And he literally, you know, Musayev walked around the ring gently tapping the turnbuckles with his fist. That was the extent of his Y crew. But hey, you know, he's Dagestani. They're not a people known for placing a big emphasis on pleasing the fans. Speaking of not pleasing the fans, this was a pretty listless fight. You know, Kulam Dom got the win, but nothing to write home about. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of fight capped off a not-so-great card, you know? I have to admit, I fast-forward through a lot of this stuff, you know? There's times where guys were clinching and grabbing on each other, and I, I was going, I know it's not going to end up in a finish. Same way in the UFC, when guys are laying on top of each other, pitter-pattering them, it's like, I could fast-forward through this. I've watched enough fights to know this isn't going to result in an exciting finish. And, you know, this, uh, since I've started doing this podcast, this was the, uh, not only the, the fight night, but the, not only the Friday fight, but also any event that I've done, that I've covered on the show and the, in the six episodes, which is like, we usually do like two, two shows an episode. So that's like 12 or 13 fights. This was the one with the lowest finish rate, 33% finish rate. You know, it happens. You know, I'm not saying anything about one, but this this card, you know, the the uh, matchmaking could have been a lot better. You know, luckily, we've got a lot of exciting stuff to look forward to two and one. And I just think this is anomaly. You know, the last fight I covered uh, fight night 18 didn't have the most finishes, but hopefully this is just a dip. You know, it was over this weekend. It was a full moon. I was out doing my uh, I was out at the uh, Mara Vespa uh, National Vespa Rally in Flagstaff, Arizona, out riding my motorcycle with the sidecar on it and, uh, you know, boosting it up and having fun and stuff. And I did happen to notice when I was on a night ride that it was a full moon. So maybe that's why all these fights have been terrible. And, uh, you know, now that that's over and everybody's recharged their crystals, we could go on to having good fights. Hopefully next week we'll bring us some good fights. And I do have a reason to think that next week will bring us some good fights. Because not only do we have UFC 289, the most mediocre pay-per-view in distant memory, we also have one Fight Night 11, Ursul versus Menchikov. That's going to be on Prime Video, folks. Check it out. It's on Saturday. If you don't have Prime Video, what are you, like 80? Uh, lots of stuff to be excited about on this on this fight card. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna uh, be real with you, you know, probably the fight I would say to watch out for, maybe the uh, hidden gem on here is is the fight that's kicking off the 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 event. And you know, a lot of MMA organizations that kind of start slow and work their way up. And uh, Chatri and the the team at one. They have a different philosophy. They want to start strong, stay strong, finish strong. And they're certainly doing that because they got uh, Rade Opa, Opachich 
versus Guido and Ascendi, and this is a rematch. And if you don't know about Rade, check out his insane KO of Errol Zimmerman. It's on YouTube. It's wild. This dude is a wild striker. These are big boys. And uh, Innocente upset Rade in their previous contest. So this is a rematch. This is a chance for Rade to get some revenge. Innocente's kind of getting up there in age. He was 36 when he upset upset Rade. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure he's getting close to 40 at this point. But if you want to talk about a fight that's pretty much going to guarantee a finish, you could you could hit, you could pick worse fights on this card. We also got the Babe Amber Kitchen, British Babe, great fighter too. Of course, love the women's MMA, and this fight's going to deliver because Amber Kitchen always delivers. So I'm looking forward to that one. Another fight I always look forward to is uh, Nikki Holtzkin. You know this guy is a legend, um, and he's speaking of babes, Nikki Holtzkin, quite a babe. But anyway, you know, he's he's uh, he's two and three in his last five fights, you know, and two of those losses are coming from the man on the marquee, Rihi Re- Re- and Ursel. You know, he's cut, co- but he's also coming off a nasty KO in the second round by uh, Clint Mee. But he did take over a year off to recover, which I think is smart. I wish more fighters would do that. You know, I wish we would see more guys taking a year off after a nasty KO like that. That being said, he is having a, a fight where he's facing a tough opponent in uh, Arian Sadikov, you know, a guy who's who's 11 years the junior of Holtzkin. But these guys usually deliver, both fighters. The outcome's usually fireworks, so maybe the fireworks will be Holtzkin getting getting dropped like he did in his last fight, or, or maybe we could see a, a cool comeback. I, I would hope to see Holtzkin deliver a good comeback. Lightweight Submission Grappling World Championship, Cade Rotolo versus Tommy Langaker. So for those who don't know Tommy Langaker, I know everybody already know, knows Cade Rotolo. Tommy Langaker has a very fan-friendly style. And if you don't know anything about him, he's, he's from the UK or uh, he's from Europe. And uh, here's another thing to know about him. He has a win over Gilbert Burns and Polaris. So if you're an MMA fan, if you don't follow submission grappling, he's got a win over Gilbert Burns. Now that is in the gi, but still it's impressive. And if you are an MMA fan who's never watched uh, submission grappling before, don't let the idea of a purely submission grappling fight or contest deter you from watching this because it's different in one. It's hard to describe. You just have to see it. It's different. And it's, it's a, a high-quality product. It's, it's exciting. And even if it sucks, it's only one round. It's only 10 minutes. So I would highly recommend that people tune into this. Cade Rutolo's the future of grappling. Him and his brother are, you know, they're, they're going to be at the top of the grappling world for a very long time. I would expect Kay Rotolo to be able to win this bout at the very least. I wouldn't be surprised if you see um, a submission. We also have Superbond versus Typhoon uh, Ozjohn. And if you don't know, Superbond's a two-time featherweight kickboxing world champion. But much like Nikki Holskin, he's coming off a devastating KO by Chingis Alizov. You know, Superbond's Super Bond's the people's champion. I really want to see him get a win here. He is getting up there in age, but this man still has power to crack. So 
I would expect Superbon to be able to get it done after Typhoon. Uh, Typhoon knows John is a talented fighter. He does have some really crazy submission or uh, finishes in his own right, but I think Superbon's got what it takes to get it done here. Then the main event, we have Ray, uh, Ray and Ursel. You know, Ursel's one of those guys that's just been on top for so long. One of the things that I, I really think is interesting about this guy is he's from Suriname, and it's amazing how such a small little country in South America that most people haven't even heard of produces such high-level fighters. I mean, the, the go ahead and give yourself a Wikipedia of Surinamese fighters, you know. Roysenstruck, for example, there's a ton of them in, in K1 and, and 1, and it's just cool, you know. So this guy is... Dutch kickboxing to the core. And uh, he's been able to amass quite a record. You know, he's writing a 21 fight winning streak and he hasn't tasted defeat in like over seven years. It's impressive. You know, it's impressive what this guy has done. And as his opponent, Dmitry Menshikov, you know, he's also got an impressive record. He's, he's amassed 19 knockouts, 27 and two, and he's on an 11-fight winning streak. That's certainly impressive. But I'll say this. Dmitry Menshikov has never fought in one. And unless you're fighting in those, these top-tier organizations, you're not fighting the top talent. So while Dmitry Menshikov was giving his 11-fight win streak, Rayhan Ursel was getting a 21-fight win streak where he was fighting much higher competition. Like half the people on this fight card... Dim- uh, Rayhan Urshel has Urshel has beaten. You know he's just got a he's just got a better record. And as as tough as as Menchikov is, I don't see any way that Urshel doesn't win this fight. You know, there's no path to victory in my opinion for Dmitry Menchikov. I don't think that he's going to go out there and slaughter him. Menchikov is a great fighter. I see this fight going to decision, but I see at the end of that decision. Rayhan Arsel and still. Did I mention that on top of that, we still that same weekend have one Friday fights 20 the night before. So you get 10 fights the night before that. Then they go to Lumpini Stadium again and have this fight night. 11, 12, 11, 12, 11. So make sure you check that out. Friday fights are going to be on YouTube. Uh, one Fight Night 11 will be on Amazon Prime Video. If you don't have Amazon Prime Video, you could get the One app and watch it on One. Either way, I highly recommend you check this out. It's going to be a great fight card. There's going to be some great fights. Even if you don't know all the names, trust me, it'll be worth your time. It's going to be a hell of a lot more finishes on this one than the UFC card, and you don't have to pay t- uh, 85 bucks to watch it. All right, that was quite a marathon. I appreciate you all sticking around till the end, you know, and just say it again here. You know, this is a growing little podcast. I'm putting a lot into this. I'd really like to to uh, continue to grow and, and uh, continue to see all this hard work that I put in. Uh, I, I won't give you too much behind the scenes, but I'll tell you this. I, I set my alarm for... Uh, 6.30 this morning, and basically, uh, once I got up and got my coffee, I sat down on my computer and started working on podcast stuff, and it's now midnight. 
So all I ask in return is that, you know, you take those greasy French fry stained hands, put them on your filthy mouse and move it over to that like, move it over to that subscribe. And, uh, you know, go into the comments and say, God, you know, this, this Dave Moore just talks terribly about me and I hate him, but I have to admit he's so handsome and he's so analytical. I can't stop listening. And then, you know, go over to that share button and tell your friends, Hey, you know, you're going to hate this guy too. Cause he's so handsome and analytical, but gosh, darn, if, if his analysis isn't razor sharp and that's all I ask. I just want to be lusted after the way that, you know, MMA podcasters are lusted after by, by college women. And, you know, I just want to be respected the way that like when, when, uh, Brendan Shaw walks into a room of, of former fighters and comedians, they just go, wow, that's a guy we really respect, you know, non-sarcastically. And that's all I'm asking for. I don't think it's a big ask. You know, I'm doing a lot for you. I'm providing you, you know, the, I mean, probably the best podcast in the world, at least at the very least, the best MMA comedy podcast. So do me that solid and I won't have to call the FBI on you for stealing from me by watching this and not liking and subscribing. In all seriousness, though, you know, I love y'all. I just hit 20 subscribers. That might not sound like a lot to some people, but that's a big deal to me. I had a video that hit uh, 350 views. That's pretty cool to me to think that 350 people watched a video of me talking about dumb stuff and making penis jokes and stuff like that. So we are growing. We're going to keep growing. And I appreciate each and every one of you. I love you. Let's keep growing this thing together. Let's get this small, humble podcast into something big that people are going to start taking notice to. And until the next time, I appreciate all of you for tuning in to The One. Let's get in depth. Mm hmm. This is going to be some razor sharp, razor sharp MMA. This is going to be some razor sharp MMA. <sighs> this is going to be some razor sharp MMA. All right, let's get into these fights because I'm feeling razor sharp. <laughs>